0: In the gospel, a righteousness of God is revealed. Righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. My brothers, my sisters, in Christ. Every couple that gets ready to get married goes through this if they want to, want to have a big party. Some couples, they go the easy route. They go to the courthouse. They don't have a big party to plan, and you kind of commend them for it. Because working out your guest list can be agonizing for two reasons. First of all, there is a lot of social pressure. Do we have to invite great aunt Margaret to our wedding reception? She eats a lot. That's going to be expensive. But there are those people that even if you don't want them there, you better invite them. Otherwise, you're going to get in big trouble. There's also the fact that you're not made of money. Some of us, we were so fortunate to have family help pay for weddings. But especially if you're footing the bill yourself, you got to cut back on how many people you invite because you can't afford maybe to invite all the people that you want there. And so you have to make that painful decision of who gets the invite. And who doesn't? Although there might be some exceptions to this rule, I think it's safe to say that, in general, we invite people to parties, we invite people to weddings, because we want them there. There might have been one or two people at your wedding that you weren't exactly excited to have them there. But in general, when you invite someone to something, you assume that it's because they want you there. You invite your long-lost buddy who's back from deployment for lunch, in the back of your mind, you're not saying, wow, I hope he says no. I haven't seen him in a while, and I want to keep not seeing him for a while. You invite people over to your house because you just redid your kitchen. You want them to come and see your kitchen and just and enjoy their company. No one really generally sends an invite that they want a no to. And that's really important to remember when we read this parable from our Savior. This is the third parable in a series of three. And as Jesus tells a uh, shotgun blast of parables, they usually escalate, right? Jesus tells one to kind of get the idea out there, tells another to develop, and here it is. This is the coup de grace parable. This is where we get the most details as Jesus speaks to the crowd, but he's speaking to the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, the religious elites. And he has us envision a royal wedding, a royal wedding party. Now, there's something about a a close friend getting married. There's something entirely different about someone who is in the public eye, in public interest, getting married. A royal wedding is a matter of national interest. You remember when Prince Harry married Meghan Markle? According to Google, some almost 30 million people tuned in to see that wedding on their TV, on the Internet. It was a wedding of international interest, even though a lot of us, I have to say, it didn't really affect me personally, probably doesn't affect you personally, but it would if you're British. You would care a lot about that wedding. And so Jesus has us envision a king who's throwing a wedding banquet for his newly married son. Now the king, as he forms his guest list, he doesn't have the same limitations that you and I do. He doesn't have to worry about costs. He's the king. He has all the money. So you know if you get an invite to this wedding banquet, he's got the best of wines. He's got the best of meats. He's got the best of the best of the best. And you're on the guest list. And it's no surprise you knew that his son was of marriageable age. You knew that kings, they like to get their kids married off so that they can form alliances. You saw this coming. Maybe the king even sent out his save-the-dates. So the invited guests, they knew all along that they were invited to this wedding. Even maybe some of them said yes right away. So it's not a surprise when the king sends his servants out and says, hey, the wedding's ready. Why don't you come on over? So there is no reason... Why, now is the time that they say no. They flatly refuse the best wedding banquet they are ever going to get. That makes no sense. So what does the king do when he sees that his invited guests are not interested in attending his wedding banquet? Well, what would you do? I might just cancel the whole thing, save a lot of money. The king doesn't say to himself, oh, good, I was hoping that my guests wouldn't come. He sends his servants out a second time. And you catch more flies with honey than with vinegar. So he reminds his wedding guests what they will find when they get there. Come to my wedding banquet, he says. My oxen and fattened calf have been butchered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. When you come to the party I've invited you to, you're going to see good things. You're going to eat and drink Good things. Now, I know that there are a couple of us who are a little bit more on the introverted side. Going into a big wedding banquet with a big crowd of people gives, gives me, gives us a little bit of anxiety. But all of us love free, good food. The king is saying, when you come to my party, you're gonna have good things come on. He's, he's begging them. He sounds a little desperate. It's not like the king needs people at his wedding banquet. It's not like it makes his life any better. But the simple fact is the king's throwing a party. He wants to share good things. So why wouldn't you go? The people that the king is inviting, they first deny him. They decline the offer. And then they get nasty. Did you catch that? They paid no attention, one to his field, another to his business. The rest? seized his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Wow. Does that sound like an overreaction? I don't think so. Because he is the king, remember? He's not just a rich guy throwing a wedding banquet saying it would be nice if you came, and if you say no, you kind of snub him socially and maybe he's not going to call you again. This is your king of your country. And when he says do something, it's kind of in your best interest to do it. And so people, these people are flatly, they're, they're digging their heels and they're even getting antagonistic. They're not just social enemies. They turn themselves into political enemies. So how should the king respond? How do kings respond in Jesus' day to political enemies? They wage war on them. And you guys are, are smart. You're a step ahead. You know that this parable represents something about the way God interacts with us. You can tell that in Jesus' parable, the king represents God. I think God gets a bad rap. When people read the Bible, uh, especially the Old Testament, and they see God's reaction to the sin of mankind, when people hear about the very real presence of a hell where people go to suffer their sins it sounds so nasty it sounds like an overreaction but i want to ask some ask you to imagine something that's impossible for you to imagine how would you feel how would you feel if you created a human race for the sole purpose of you showing them love of you giving them good of you giving them the best of the best And almost as quickly as they are created, they turn their backs on you and run in the opposite direction. From one bite into a forbidden fruit to centuries upon centuries of rebellion and sin and wickedness, how would you respond? I don't think I would last, my patience would last nearly as long as God's did. Because throughout time, God sent His prophets, he sent representatives. There was Moses, there was Isaiah, who we read from this morning, John the Baptist, and even his own son, God in the flesh, Jesus. And how did sinful, rebellious mankind respond every time we mistreated his representatives? We mistreated his servants, whom he sent to call us back. God sitting there just saying when you come to me you get nothing but good but centuries of m- human history of us saying no thanks and turning in the opposite direction how good how should god respond but this is where the parable gets kind of interesting the two parables we've had before this one don't have nearly this much detail this one Gives us another shade, another side of the equation to consider. Jesus continues. He said to his servants, The wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. So go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went out to the streets and gathered all the people they could find, the bad as well as the good. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came to see the guests, he noticed a man who was there, um, a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. He asked, How did you get in here without wedding clothes, friend? The man was speechless. The king told the attendants, Tie him hand and foot, throw him outside into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are invited, but few are chosen. What remains true of this king throughout the parable is he has good stuff that's ready. He wants to share it with people. He will do anything to share his good stuff with people. The first group of his invited guests, they didn't want it? Fine. Cut them loose. Go after more people. We need people at this wedding banquet to partake in these good things because good food begs to be shared. You don't, cook, uh, you don't smoke an entire brisket for yourself. That's way too much meat for one person. You have people over, or you eat what you can, save what you can. Maybe you give away the rest. Maybe you sell it. But there's something about good food that just has to be shared. It's important to remember that this king, he's not benefiting if people come to his banquet. He's not trying to get anything out of them. He just wants to share his good So he'll go out and get whoever he can. He'll scour the nooks and crannies of the city over which he's ruling to get all people from all walks of life to come and just taste and see that what he has is good. But there's this guy who shows up, and you can pick him out in the crowd because of the clothes he has on. Now, I read in some commentaries, I've heard it before, that in, in Jesus' day, sometimes people would invite people to their weddings and there was a uniform you had to wear. So they would give you a set of clothes as you walked in, kind of like a, a suit jacket at a country club. But then recently I found out that that's not necessarily true. So it's kind of like you guys. You guys all put on nice clothes as you came to church today. Thank you for that. But think of how much nicer you would wear, uh, nicer you would dress if you were going to Prince Harry and Meghan Markle's wedding. You might rent a tux, you might buy a suit, you might buy a new dress or something. This guy shows up in the equivalent of a dirty tank top and basketball shorts and flip-flops. Now, if you came to church in a dirty tank top and basketball shorts and flip-flops, we would say thank you for being here. We're so happy to have you in church. But if you're going to Meghan Markle and Prince Harry's wedding, you would look out of place and so the king goes up to this guy, and look how nice he is. He says, okay, there must be a reason. Why, how come you're in a dirty tank top and basketball shorts? Did you not have access to laundry? Did you not know this wedding was coming up? What's your deal? And the guy has no response because there is no excuse. He should have put on something nicer. So what's Jesus saying? He's saying that the problem that the Pharisees had that God was so patient with them, sending people after people to bring them back, to show them God's goodness, and they kept refusing, is the same problem anyone else would have if they came to God's goodness, tried to sample God's goodness, but hung on to their own terms. How did this discussion, these three parables, what started it all? Well, the Pharisees had a problem with Jesus spending time with tax collectors and prostitutes. Why? Not because they were better people than the Pharisees. The tax collectors and the prostitutes in Jesus' day, definitely two very sinful groups. But what did they have that the Pharisees didn't have? They had a willingness to give up their own terms. As Jesus came to these people and said, "You got to give up your sinful lifestyle." They said, "Okay, we will." Meanwhile, the Pharisees said, "No, we're not going to give up what we have going on. We're too rich, we're living too well, we have too much respect." But if somebody came to Jesus and if if a tax collector or a prostitute came to Jesus and said, "I like what you have. What you have is good, but I'm going to hang on to my sinful lifestyle." and try to get some of it as well. Jesus is saying, that's exactly the same problem as the Pharisees. You cannot come into the banquet of God's goodness still trying to hang on to who you are. Still trying to hang on to your own terms, still trying to hang on to your own prerogatives. And so to try to come and see come and taste and see That the Lord is good while hanging on to, unrepentantly, a sinful habit. Or going to God in his word while hanging on to a belief in something you know contradicts, but you just kind of like it. Or seeing what God teaches in his word and saying, I like this and I I like this, but I don't like that. Hanging on to your own terms, your own autonomy, your own independence. That's the problem of both groups. They both wanted to be independent of the king. Have you ever had to say no to a wedding invitation? Sadly, my wife and I have had to do this. A couple times we have, we've had friends getting married in other parts of the country and we just, we just couldn't get there. The dates didn't work out. We didn't have enough money for the plane tickets because they were ex- picked expensive times. Or we couldn't find childcare, something like that. We wanted to go, but we couldn't. Our other responsibilities took precedence. These people said no to the king because they said something else took precedence over the king's banquet. People say no to God. Every sin we commit is saying no to God because something else takes precedence but that's a lot different than saying no to a wedding because i got to watch my kids. Watching kids is pretty important. What in the world compares to the goodness God has prepared for you? What greater responsibility do you have than to just come and enjoy the goodness that God has prepared for you? Where are you going to find anything else that even remotely compares to what God has done and is continuing to do for you. I mean the wrath and the the anger against sin that God shows in this parable comes from his desire to share good things and so it makes him mad when you get in your own way. But look at what he's done. Look at the patience he has had. He sent his own son Jesus to take that wrath. To take that anger that God has against our sin to do away with it by suffering it himself. Jesus shed his own priceless blood to pay your entrance fee into the banquet of God's goodness. And so when Jesus started off this parable, he said the kingdom of heaven is like a king throwing a banquet. What's he talking about? Is he talking about heaven, heaven, eternal life with God and his goodness? Is that what it's like? Of course, heaven is good. Of course, you are guaranteed heaven delivered to you through faith in Jesus Christ. Of course, Jesus died on the cross so that your punishment would not be served on you, but was already served on him. Of course, it's true. You're going to heaven and not going to have to suffer in hell. But when Jesus says that, isn't he talking about right now? Isn't he talking about the goodness of God's grace that you enjoy right now in this life, in this very moment? Isn't he talking about the robe of righteousness you were decorated with at your baptism so that you know your entire life that God looks on you with favor and gives you peace? Isn't Jesus talking about the fact that you can be confident in God's forgiveness constantly, knowing that his grace is unfailing for you throughout your life? Isn't he talking about the goodness of God's banquet so that it allows you to be able to greet each day, no matter what it offers you, good or bad, knowing God is there with you to protect you and to provide for you? Aren't you feasting on the goodness of God's banquet right now? And it's a goodness you just won't find anywhere else. There's one more thing we have to, have to talk about, and it's that last line Jesus says, for many are called, but few are chosen. But what does that mean? I'll tell you how some people take it to mean, and I'm going to disagree with it. They mean that the invite to believe in the gospel goes out to everyone, but it's only effective for some people. That the preaching of the law and gospel goes out to all people, but it only takes root. God only causes it to create faith in the hearts of some people. And here's why that doesn't work. Why do you send an invite? Because you want people to come. Why does God send out the gospel message through the preaching and teaching and sharing that Christians do? Because he wants people to believe it. It makes no sense to say that God would share the gospel knowing all the while, wanting people not to believe it, doesn't make sense. So what is Jesus saying? The message of the gospel will go out. Some people will react like the Pharisees. will say, no thanks, I'm good. The message of the gospel will go out. Some people will react like that guy who showed up in his own clothes. will say, I'll see what it's all about, but I want to keep doing my own thing. People's own heart problems can get in their own way of believing the gospel. But here's what we learn from this parable. Take something from God's patience, the king's patience, with his invited guests. He doesn't give up as soon as they reject him, but keeps sending after them. Maybe we can learn something from that too. Where the people that you know that are rejecting the gospel or appear to in your life, don't give up on them. Remember what God did in this parable. He goes after them and goes after them and goes after them. And also remember what the banquet is, what you are inviting people to when you share the gospel. You're sharing the gospel with people because when they hear it and believe it, they will experience good things. You want the best for them, which is what God wants to. Amen.